Welcome to episode 53 of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast. We're talking a little bit earlier than we thought uh, after a pretty interesting game one of the NBA finals. Uh, Daz, I know you were pretty uh, uninspired about this NBA finals uh, heading into it, unlike myself who was really fired up about it. But uh, did you did you end up catching uh, much of game one? Well, I, I didn't see it live. So um, I didn't plan to. And then, right, Twitter was lighting up and Facebook Messenger was lighting up and the text message was lighting up. And then, yeah, then I saw, I heard about the ending. So I'd known exactly, kind of exactly what happened. I knew there was a brain snap at the end. I knew there was a missed free throw. So um, I probably had a less... Uh, a little bit more muted reaction to it, but I still hold up in my bed. It was probably, I watched every minute from, you know, like midnight till about two in the morning, um, the day of the game. So I've watched every minute of it, bar the final few minutes of overtime. I couldn't bear it. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't bear it. Well, so I, I, I got, saw that I was in the fully, same. Fully pulled into the gravity of it all. I was in the same boat. I, I started uh, not watching, saying, oh, look, I'm not going to watch this game. I think it's going. And, I, and it didn't surprise me that it was close early. And I was texting uh, our, our friend, uh, Andrew Cleaver, back and forth during the game. And I, and I said, he was pretty happy with how the first half went. He said the Cavs have played well. And I sort of thought, look, I'll time my lunch break because I work from home to the start of the third quarter. And I'll see <laughs> if, if the Cavs can survive that punch then we know, you know, they're, they're going to be in the game. And they the, the Warriors started with JaVale McGee at the start of the, the um, second half. And that was interesting because I was sitting here watching the game. It was like the only two players on the court that realised it was the NBA Finals was LeBron James and JaVale McGee because everyone else was just sleepwalking. Like... At least JaVale made his mistakes, you know, missed the dunk and all, had all those sort of things. But he's playing with a bit of intensity. Everyone else was just, as I said, they were sleepwalking uh, through the game. And, of course, LeBron, uh, there was a great quote after the game from Coach uh, David Thorpe where he said, LeBron came to war in this game and the, the Warriors came for a picnic. And that's pretty much how the game was sort of playing out. The Warriors jumped out to a seven-point lead very quickly in the in that second half. And I thought, oh, here we go. They're just going to blow this game away. And then the Cavs, as they've done really right throughout the playoffs, they just hit back-to-back threes. And all of a sudden, a nine-point deficit or an eight-point deficit is a two-point game. And they're right back in it. And there's no, there's been no better team in the NBA this year in close games than the Cavs, which makes the, the end of this game... I guess all the more surprising as to how it played out, but it was very much in the end the reverse of what we've seen from Cleveland in these playoffs, where you felt like a lot of times, particularly in the Pacers series, even in Game One of the Raptors series, and at times in the Celtics series, you felt the um, the teams they're playing like the Pacers were the better team, the Raptors at times were the better team, but the Cavs had that better top-end talent, whereas I think this game was a sort of the opposite of that, where you felt the Cavs actually, I thought, were the better team on the day, but the the Warriors just had that extra talent that they could rely on. Steph Curry played his best game of the playoffs, I think, in this one, uh, and when it came down to it at the end, uh, they were able to call on Steph Curry. So as the, the Cavs sort of kept it close right the way through, really, the Warriors kept sort of getting out the seven or eight points, and then, as I say, the, the Cavs would just keep hitting those back-to-back shots. 
And then when it got down to the last sort of four or five minutes, you really thought, hang on, I think the Cavs are going to actually steal this. I mean, Kevin Durant was absolutely invisible. Uh, and it just came down really to LeBron and Steph Curry going back and forth. And I actually thought a couple of times LeBron passed off when he could have shot. And But there was other times when he maybe shot when he should have passed. So it was hard to criticise the guy, 51-point game, such a great performance. But it was just little things within the game. I think there was a little period... Uh, just before the end of the third quarter where, and I made this point, I thought LeBron probably went a little bit too much hero ball and I think he, because he was on fire for most of the game and then he missed four or five shots in a row and it just allowed the Warriors to build up a bit of a lead and I think in hindsight, had Ty Lue have actually just taken him out of the game there and gave, given him a bit of rest because the Cavs stayed afloat in this game during the, the albeit short periods that LeBron sat off the court. I think there was a moment there towards the end of the third period where LeBron probably shot a few too many. And then, as I said, I think he deferred a couple of times. There's one, one in particular where he drove to the basket and kicked it out to Jeff Green for a wide-open uh, baseline three, which he barely grazed the rim. And the next time, LeBron just took it in and got the foul and, and finished the basket. And that, that was what I would have hoped he did the first time. So there's just little opportunities like that for Cleveland that just didn't quite work their way out, I felt, as the game went on. And then, of course, you had the uh, the end of the game. We might leave the end, the actual end of the game discussion. I mean, how did you sort of, when you're viewing the game, how did you view the back and forth and the flow of the game? I and mean, did you take the same thing away from me that the Warriors, I guess, believe their own hype to an extent? That's how it seemed to me. And the Warriors just thought, all we've got to do is show up in the gym and we're going to beat this team. And LeBron, in particular, had other ideas about it. But but I've seen that from the Warriors all year. That that was how they were against Houston. You know, they were still, you know, laughing and smiling. You know, Chris, remember when Chris Paul does his shimmy after yep. making one of his crazy three-pointers? And Steph's, you know, like, Steph literally laughs about it. And in this game, he had it, you know, from beginning to end, you know, and the, he had a little, I wouldn't say ugly, but, you know, when, when LeBron rejected Steph, that was an overtime, wasn't it? And um, the game was pretty much decided by then. And Steph, you know, basically said something, in fact, can't you let me have this one? And LeBron was having none of it. And he was like, no, I'm not ready to just to joke around with you. We're not pals here. And he said, get, you know, basically said, get the, you know, get the fuck out of my face. Mm. And, but, but Steph still had a laugh about it. But so that's, that's who the Warriors are. They're the Steve Kerr surfer dude. Everyone's all right. You know, we'll play Nintendo and everyone be happy and show up and play. And, so they were, I guess they were their persona. So I didn't see them. I know Thorpe called it a picnic, but I, that's been right. I've not seen a different, anything different from them. I certainly didn't see it in the Houston series. I think more in a defensive end too. I mean, they, they're usually very good in terms of their attention to detail on defense. And I think this game in particular, the fact that they continually allowed LeBron to just get switched on to Steph Curry and then just really didn't do anything. But then again, LeBron was killing him in any matchup across the game, so it may not have mattered that much. At the we end could of spend the two hours talking about how I just to, to truly appreciate how in the finals against one of the greatest teams and one of the greatest defensive teams in Golden State, and that he's they basically do everything, engineer their entire defense to stop and slow him down, and and he was still doing whatever he wanted, wherever he wanted, how he wanted, 
was absolutely mind-boggling remarkable and we're we're probably late to the you know to the broadcast but this is this is you know this will go into the annals of one of the greatest performances in finals history without question by a single player but what was interesting for me was perhaps a little bit less to the see i thought the you know i thought um cleveland defended as well as they could right they were they were doing their best to run guys off the line right um, it's not like Golden State lit it up. They were 13 for 36. They're kind of right. At, you know, well, right I average. made the point on that. During um, the third uh, quarter, the, normally the Warriors are just bombing away, but it was more attack the rim. And, and that's to your point that they were running them off the three-point line. I guess they were picking their poison yeah. in a sense to say, let's if they get the heap of twos, at least they're not getting a heap of threes. Yeah, and and you can see that reflected in you know Cleveland absolutely dominated the boards, right? Fifty three to thirty eight and a ridiculous nineteen offensive rebounds. So, you know, there was a what that tells me was that there was a obviously that enormous amount of energy and effort and and focus paid paid attention to that by the Cavs, which is smart. Which is which is what you need to do. It also says that it's weird, a little bit weird in that we saw Kerr shorten his bench against Houston and he goes and elongates it in this game, which is a little bit of, I guess. Well, part of that was Clay Thompson got injured in the first. Well, Clay Thompson got injured in the first half too. He banged knees um, with Jar Smith. So that, that was a part of that. A few minutes. Yeah. He missed missed a few minutes, but I mean, even West McCall, Livingston Bell, McGee got run, Nick Young, Played ten minutes, so it's like he went really, he went really. And this wasn't just the last two minutes of overtime, so you know. So I think that you had, you know, as you pointed out before, Javale McGee is getting a run, um, you know, McCaw, Young, and so forth. So I think what was weird is all those guys were plus, you know, they're all their plus minuses were all basically the entire Golden State bench was in the positive, which I find puzzling. Well, like Jordan Clarkson was to... Jordan Clarkson was plus eight in his nine minutes or so. So don't, the plus minus yeah. was very very misleading yeah, in this game. I'm just I didn't remember those runs. Yeah, yeah. So the, the, we're we're completely burying the lead here, right? And the entire story of this is the is the emotional devastation that Cleveland's gone through. I mean, there's going to be zero silver linings, Daz. Right. There's no there's no feel good effect. Zero. There's none. There's no feel good effect when you know you out, out rebound the Warriors by 15. Right. Um, you know you yourself. You know the Cavs are only 10 for 37. You know from 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 downtown. And you know the the, war, the, the Cavs only committed 11 turnovers, and then to have what happened at the end happen to them. You know, this is going to be so hard to rebound from. Well, that's where I can't help but go, right? I can't help but go there. Well, it's interesting. I mean, outside of LeBron, the three-point shooting was terrible by the Cavs. And Kevin Love in particular, he was one for eight. And the one he hit was big, but gee, he missed some open looks. Uh, it's so many open looks. Had, uh, yeah. And that was where I really was felt short. for LeBron. Like, yeah. how many assists would LeBron have had in that game if they were hitting hitting their shots? I mean, the guy's caught vision and the laser passes he can throw, and you're just saying, how did he even see that pass uh, from where he was? I heard it was... I heard the stat, it was a Zach Lowe or someone there, was, or a Windhorst. 
he had potentially assisted on 15 three-pointers <laughs> and they made no literally there were one or two for 15 on yeah. the three-pointers mm-hmm. that he could have assisted on yeah, yeah 15 it was an all-time great finals performance and it was maybe the best performance of lebron's career that's not that that's where the the pantheon of where that performance lies so for them to lose a game where lebron is just so good and so transcendent uh that that's going to be hard for them to bounce back from without that it felt in a sense yeah it was very similar to toronto cleveland game one in this sense that you felt in that game one toronto got everything they wanted the game was played on their terms. Guys that needed to show up showed up. You know, everything looked good in the box score from their offensive point of view, and they still somehow lost. And uh, yeah, it was a they couldn't make it was a, a layup. It was yeah. a number of things. LeBron didn't. That was LeBron's worst game in the playoffs as well, if you remember. Go back that far. So they got everything right. Couldn't you know, Valanciunas misses seven tip-ins, etc. There was so many things that went wrong for him. This was just the mirror image for Cleveland. They got the game on their terms. LeBron is absolutely brilliant. Yes, they would have liked some of them open threes to have been made, I guess. That's that's the big thing. And obviously some of the officiating as well down the stretch, which we can touch on. But to lose that game... So before we... Yeah, before we get... That's a really... It's probably a good parallel. I mean... <laughs> We'll see. I guess if they have more resilience than 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 Toronto, um, I guess before we get into the tragedy of the, of the ending and where to from here, just a couple of things. I, I thought Kevin Love actually played a pretty good game. He did miss a bunch of open threes. Yeah, I agree. I but agree. I thought he did his best. Yeah, he was solid. And he got a bit of a rest, and he wasn't. There's a couple times he exposed on on defensive end, as you can expect, but it wasn't it wasn't terrible. I thought he was quite active and you could just um again i don't want to be in the body language police but i saw a laser focus like he didn't smile the whole game i think that's actually good i think they were so locked in um george hill obviously had the now infamous ending but he thought he played really good defense his defense has been excellent yeah hasn't it yeah yeah and J.R. Smith was not a positive, <laughs> but what was I thought? What I liked about um, Jeff Green, I liked again. Uh, Jeff Green was a solid rotation player. I'm not going to go any further than that. But Jeff Green didn't embarrass himself. Again, he didn't have too many opportunities. He wasn't probably as aggressive as you'd like on the offensive end, but he he played. He played with energy and effort. And again, he's a he's a he's a pesky enough defender, right? He's a he's an I say neutral defender, which I. Again, it's all LeBron needs is guys just to do their jobs. And I like I like the Larry Nance thing, Daz. That was a really neat wrinkle yeah. that I didn't expect from in this game. So that was probably the one, just in terms of X's and O's, that stood out. I like, um, was the Nance had a 19 minutes, 11 rebounds, four on the offensive end. Um, I would have liked him to make a free throw, but um, I liked it. I liked his, again, sort of the gusto. It didn't look, you know, the moment didn't look too big for him. It's amazing um, how much how... LeBron's energy is tied to what his teammates do. Like, if they make a couple of shots mm-hmm. in a row, he just lifts in. And you can sort of see the shoulders start, you know, go from a little bit of slumping when they continually miss those shots to, like, he's really... And I think part of it is he's happy for these guys to to see them do it. But then it's also, obviously, part of it is 
I know I've got I've got some help here tonight, so it's not going to be all, you know, just well, me trying to do it. He was basically like running the just like a super Tinder app on this game, right? He's just swiping right everywhere, <laughs> and when no one ever could make a shot or do anything or give you any positive feedback, you know, you get sad face, but you continue to swipe right, and eventually, you know, something something happy happens. Like, all right, I'm going to keep swiping right, but. You know, I'm glad he didn't start sweeping left until, you know, until J.R. Smith came into his crosshairs. But one, so a lot of, actually a lot of, so many positives, which got completely overwhelmed by the deluge of sadness at the end. But a lot of positives, Love looked fit and healthy and gave it a go. I'd like to see a couple shots go down, but that's the NBA. Um, George Hill, competent. Um, Jeff Green, competent. Nance, a really nice, pleasant surprise. Look, Jordan Clarkson got bashed for... His getting 17 minutes. I didn't hate it. And I was actually with Ty Lue on this one when he explained it afterwards. He had 19, 17 minutes for Clarkson. And yeah, he was two for nine and didn't hit a three. But I liked his logic, which was, you know, he's, he didn't say this parenthetical, which was, Jordan's so stupid. He's not afraid of anything. <laughs> he's, he's fearless. And I go, you know what? Look, that's probably an indictment on Rodney Hood more than it is a, a you know, support of Jordan Clarkson. But I didn't hate it. I liked that it. it's a, again, it offered a wrinkle. And then poor, poor Cal Corver. He just couldn't. He couldn't get a shot off. Like it was. I'd have to go back more closely, but it was just odd. When I just quick look at the box scores here tonight, and I go, "Geez, he only played 16 minutes. I knew it wasn't a big run. He got three shots off Dest. Three yeah, attempts. Well, the, go, the thing with the Golden State is they. If you've got a defensive liability out there, and make no mistake, Corver's a defensive liability, they'll just attack you until you go off the court. And I think that if, if Corver's not making shots, and the other thing about Corver is he only shoots if he's wide open, or well, not wide open, but open enough to get his shot off, put it that way. Um, and he's not a guy that's going to put it on well, the floor. Well, he's pure catch and shoot. Yeah, that's right. Ca- that's true. So yeah. you can run him off the three-point line. You can expose him on the defensive end. He's, he's just not the player that you need against Golden State. Um, and that was shown, I think, in last year's finals as well. Um, but he's been outstanding for them to get through the East. So it's it's a bit of a double-edged sword for them. You know, they, they certainly wouldn't have got through the East, I don't think, without Corver this year. But I don't think he's going to be great in this matchup against Golden State, um, given how they can run guys off the three-point no. line the way that they do. Um, the other point I'd make, just quickly, in, in relation to the Raptors series... When Cleveland won game one, one of the things that it gave them about game two was they could play loose then. And what you saw in game two was they were just... I, I, I'm not sure if Ty Lue actually said this to LeBron, but I wouldn't surprise if they sort of... The, the internal thinking was, look, we've got one in, under our belts now. If LeBron wants to go out there and just shoot jump shots for 40, 40 minutes the next game, that's fine because we don't want him to expend too much energy. And, of course, what we saw in Game 2 of the Raptors series, LeBron just couldn't miss. It uh, wasn't so much going to the rim as he had done in Indiana and as he did do in other stages in the Raptors series. It was more just, and we mentioned on the pod, he's trying new shots, you know, just doing things that... Experimenting. Experimenting. Uh, yeah. he could have, they could have been in that situation. If they hold on to this game, they could have said to LeBron... Go out there and just see if the jumper's going. And the jumper was going, actually. He, he, he had his outside game going really well in this one, as well as Burn. I mean, he was 9 of 10 at finishing at the rim, but he's also had the, the three-point um, shot was there, other than that little period I yeah. referenced towards the end of the third quarter. So they could he could have that, come out in game two and just said, I'm just going to let it fly. And if he starts making him early, 
all of a sudden now the Warriors are really starting to look shaky. That's when I saw that the two, if you remember that stretch, it was towards the end of the third. It was like four or five minutes left in the third when LeBron did the step-in three-pointers on, I don't know, it was back-to-back possessions, but very close to it, right? Yep. It was like a one-minute period where it, one of them was like a deep three, right? He just kind of trotted down the court and pulled up from you know, 28, 29, like Curry range, and drained it. That's when I knew. That's when you could sort of feel where you felt Oracle go, oh, God, this is real, right? The Dragon Slayer is here. So that was my probably favorite part of the game is when he just confidently did his heat check and 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 drained those two threes in the third. And I think it was like an eight-point lead that got stripped right back to two after that, just right when Golden State could have gone and just blown the lid off. LeBron put the lid right back on, and it made for, a, again, a compelling, compelling final quarter until... Well, let's we go to that end now, Daz. Yeah, yeah, so the referees quickly, there was yeah. a couple of horrendous... Well, horrendous might be putting too fine a point. It, it seemed, I guess some, in these big moments, in the big games, these calls seem worse than maybe they are um, in a normal game. I, I say there was three calls that stood out to me. So one where uh, LeBron got a clean strip against Durant. They called the foul. Durant goes to the line. On the other end... Um, they clearly foul LeBron, absolutely hacked him, no call down that end. So completely, you know, pretty much the same play. One wasn't a foul that was called, one was a foul um, and wasn't called. And then, of course, the reversed call, which, I mean, I've heard, you know, I'm, I'm hearing different opinions on this. I mean, some people are saying, so if you haven't seen the play, what happened was uh, Kevin Durant goes for a drive, LeBron gets in position, takes the charge, the referee now, uh, there's differing reports about what happened. The referee that the, was close to the action certainly called the charge. Apparently another referee thought it was a block. Uh, they then decided to review the play. Now, just on the play itself, whether it was a block or a charge, I was sort of of the opinion, look, it was a bit of a 50-50 one. You never quite know 100% which way it was. I was happy to go with whatever the call was on the floor. For those for that sort of one, it was one of those ones where you think, yeah, I could see where they could make call of the block. I could see where they call of the charge. It was clearly outside the restricted zone, though. I mean, there was no question that he wasn't anywhere near the restricted zone in terms of them being able to review the play. Now, people are saying, well, if and I heard Nate and Nate Duncan and Dean Larue make this argument. Oh, well, the, if you're arguing about a technicality. That's ridiculous. You know, it was they thought it was clearly a blocking foul, and they said, "Look, if they want to go over and review that, and it's like, why does it not matter that they weren't able to review that play? Why don't we just so if it was out at the three point line, would it have been all right from the review of the play, whether it was a block or a charge? I don't understand this. It should never have been reviewed, and that was a massive moment in the game because it was thirty six seconds left. Cavs were up uh, two at that stage. Uh, and had the ball, so sure. and would have had the ball, so and and they couldn't stop LeBron at that point. So you're you're assuming now. Look, was... Who knows what happens from there? But LeBron did score in the next possession anyway. So if he scores and they go up four with under twenty four seconds left, now it's it's your game. So what did you make? That's what I said there was twenty. There's twenty six. It was like twenty six seconds left, wasn't it? Yeah. It was thirty six um, seconds Clinton left was up at two, that, that point. Yeah. Thirty six. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So yeah. Uh, it looked in real time. It it looked like a charge, um, 
but it, you know, it wasn't some op, it wasn't obvious, but it looked like it. Um, I didn't have any question he was outside the restricted because it wasn't even close. It wasn't he was close. Way out. He was a couple feet, right? So, um, so yeah. So in that situation, I think he had to make a call. The call on the court actually was a charge, but when That's they true. went to review, he just sort of felt. You just could feel it. You just, I don't know, I just could sense that it was going to get overturned. I i don't care what quote-unquote the right call is because no one, this is not robots, this is not science. It's all open to interpretation. And it's actually not about LeBron moving or not moving your feet that are not, that it's a legal defensive position. That's a language I hadn't heard in a while, but I go, that's actually what it is, is you know, an illegally defensible position. And looked like he was. Or wasn't right. So it's a it's it's a, a gray zone. I hate two things. I hate that they can just wrap up the entire play under the pretense of looking outside the neutrals or um, the protected area. I hate that they can suddenly just reevaluate the entire thing. So, but that's the rule. So they did. I think they broke. They breached the spirit of the entire replay because he wasn't outside the restricted zone. That's why Cleveland's so pissed off. And I hate even more, though, that it was overturned with completely ambiguous ambiguous evidence, right? I've probably heard as many people arguing for it being a, a charge as, a, as, it, as it being a block because it's, it's in the gray zone, so none of them are standing so firmly on it. So I hate, absolutely hate, and it can have every right for Cleveland fans to feel complete sense of injustice that it was overturned. Like no matter what the call would have been on the floor, I would have liked the call to have stood. Yeah, I agree. so that's my that's my view on it. Yeah, yeah, it was bang bang. It was fast, right? And LeBron was definitely there in position. Um, the, I guess the question was, you know, was I don't know what the question was actually. <laughs> he looked like he was in position, but well, I think they uh, to your point. I, yeah. yeah, I think they used that loophole to go because they were unsure on the floor. And they thought, well, we'll use that loophole, pretend that we don't know if he's in the restricted area or not, and go and review And go look at it. Yeah. And I hate reviews. I mean, I would get rid of reviews for anything, to be I honest. I hate it. If it was up to me. I'd just say, you know what, if we've got to cop the occasional um, bad decision from a referee, assuming we don't have any more Tim Donahue's come through the league, we'll, we'll live with that, rather than sit there look, and have I to hate, waste time I, on reviews. I hate reviewing these subjective calls like this, these sorts of plays. You love a review, though, right, with a, you know, was your foot on the three-point line? Did the guy step out of bounds? No, well, I hate them reviews as well, because as Steve Kerr's pointed out, reviewing that play, so go back to the Ray Allen three. The fact that they had to review that might have cost the Spurs a championship because Ray Allen hits the three, the Spurs get a quick inbound, Tony Parker's down there against an unset defense. What happens? The referees go, oh, no, we've got to review this, right, to see whether his foot's on the line or not. The Spurs have to stop. We then have to call a timeout, oh. and now you're up against a set defense. Oh. So I hate, don't get me started on reviewing three points. I hate the review system. I don't care. Look, if you get the occasional one wrong, so be it. This sort of stop-start nature of the game, and even on the on the ones where they're sitting there saying, "Well, who touched it last?" I think a lot of times it's like, "Well, the the replay is not necessarily definitive one way or the other." And I've seen times where they've come up with decisions, and I sit there shaking my head, scratching my head, thinking, "How did they come up with that one?" 
Yeah. I don't know if I'm that far. I hate how long it takes. I hate when, under the pretense, they review the entire thing in a subjective play like this. And I hate things getting overturned when there's not overwhelming visual evidence to the contrary. So I hate everything about what happened, as does, you know, obviously all of all of Cleveland and many, many of us looking at, you know, there's the, the justice of the sport and the competitive nature of it. But absolutely, anyone who says differently is just full of it. That absolutely changed. It, I'm certain that changed the outcome. Oh, people that say that was not what cost Cleveland the game. I'm thinking, well, oh, <laughs> it's well, been a long way. And Kevin Durant only. That's only. That's only people who are trying to be, yeah, <laughs> trying to be servile flatterers of 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 the Golden State Warriors. Um, like, I can't. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, look, George Hill. Yes, LeBron he... James, who at that point had 49 points. And he's got the ball with 26 seconds left, up two. Yeah, my money's on LeBron doing something exactly. positive. Sorry, <laughs> exactly. And Clowns. if he scores on the next play, right. which he was scoring, and he got you know got George Hill the open look when he needed to as well, like he was doing whatever he wanted at that point. And we've seen this story, we've seen this video before, you know, plenty of times in the Eastern Conference playoffs. LeBron's got the ball with 36 seconds left, up two, as you've just said. Your money's on him, yeah. and it's and it's very hard to see how the Warriors. I think like, just using using math using mathematics, I go. He's that's at least a one point possession. He's probably going to get fouled, right? Yeah. I think that's if I'm Golden State, you probably don't let him run it down to 24 seconds, right? Because you risk if he makes a two point shot. So I'm thinking that's going to be a pretty short possession. You know, Golden State wants as many possessions at that point as possible. So I'm thinking they try to steal the inbounds, put a lot of pressure on the ball handler and foul a J.R. Smith or even a LeBron's not a, not a terrific free-throw shooter. I think the, yep. if you're Golden State in that situation, you follow LeBron with 30 seconds left, that's not the worst outcome when he's, you know, 60%, 70% from the line and, you know, yes, he's superhuman. So I think my, my mind sort of was like, that's a minimum one-point possession in my mind. That's not a turnover, right? That's not, that's not a zero-point possession. <laughs> so mm. anyway, that was... It's horrible that here we are talking about the referees. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, um, yeah, how these rules change. It's, I'm really struggling to re-engage in this in the series again. I can imagine how Cleveland fans feel, yeah, and how the Cleveland players and how the Cleveland how everyone in the organization feel. That that's as devastating an emotional loss as I can you can kind of imagine other than, you know, a Ray Allen shot or a John Paxson shot, right? Like at least those are daggers at the very end. This was a death by kind of five really awful paper cuts where you just start hemorrhaging. And I don't, I can't even talk about the J.R. Smith play. I mean, it's just so... Well, then you say that to go to the end of the game, LeBron then, so Kevin Durant makes the two, three throws, it's game tied. LeBron gets a layup at the other end. Again, the Warriors just allowed Steph Curry to be uh, switched onto him, which I could not understand. They weren't fighting through the switches a bit more. But as I said, LeBron was killing Durant probably worse than he was killing Curry um, in this game. So, yeah, so, so much for, to, we're going to throw yeah. Kevin Durant at LeBron. There's an extra body. That did, that, how did that work out for you, um, Steve Kerr? So then uh, LeBron scores... Curry goes down the other end. That was one of the bad defensive plays from Kevin Love. He came over a bit late and fouled Curry um, and didn't foul him hard enough to make him miss the shot. So Curry, and a nice finish by Curry, to be fair. Uh, he gets the end once. And now now uh, Golden State up one. Uh, now Golden State, Cleveland had, um, 
I actually thought again back to the Raptors series, Dad. Sorry to keep bringing the Raptors up, but remember when LeBron had the full court um, run up the play? I had visions of that play again. <laughs> sure do. But this time, oh, yeah. Golden State doubled him and got the ball out of his hand. So he threw it to George Hill. It was a little bit behind George Hill. So George Hill sort of couldn't attack off his own right. So he waited till I think Draymond came out to him. Then he threw it back to LeBron. And then Draymond sort of in no man's land. Do I go to LeBron? Do I not go to LeBron? Smart back cut by uh, George Hill, who LeBron finds. And then Clay Thompson just fouls him straight away before he can go up for the shot. So then he's at the line. I actually was pretty confident in George Hill at the line, to be honest. And he hit the first nicely. He didn't look rattled. He didn't look like he didn't want to be there or anything like that. And then he short-armed the second shot and barely got to the front of the He rim. looked like he didn't want to... I, I totally disagree. He looked okay on the first one, and it, and it went in. He looked like the blood had drained out of his body before the second one. Because right? there was a substitution, so some time was going off, and I, I don't... I remember some warriors were coming on the court at that point, right? They're trying to set their, you know, set for the rebound and set for some sort of final four point or four second run. And I, when you, if you go back and look at it, I guarantee you'll see a different look in George Hill's eyes. Well, that's maybe. See, I watched it live. I watched it live and I was sort of in the moment. uh, I was sitting there thinking, George, George looks fine to me. He hit the, I was, I guess I was more on the first one, whereas you've watched it knowing he misses the second one. True. And he, he, um, and he Quinn cooked it. There, that there's, uh, you could just sense, especially when he's seeing the miss. You're like, when you, he caught that look on his face. You're like, oh god, he's, he can't breathe. He looked, he looked actually scared. Well, then for some I mean, unknown James, reason, an amazing. Well, yeah, yeah. Steve Kerr. You, you said they made some subs. He's got six centers on his bench. He doesn't bring any of them on to get the rebound. Leaves Kevin Durant there, who totally uh, misses a box out on J.R. Smith. And J.R. Smith goes up to get the rebound on the miss free throw. Which is a great rebound. He like went right up and he might have given Dur- to give Durant a shot or not, but Durant was too far into the hoop. And the shot was short, so it came off the front of the rim. So it was just really a really lucky but again good play by J.R. Well, then, I thought it was Tristan Thompson. He got it that strong. I thought it was must have been Thompson that got so the rebound. Not. He ripped it out, right? Which is the irony. That's just that's the this is the Jekyll and Hyde of J.R. Smith, and then... We well, I'll tell happened. you, so you watched it, you knowing what happened. I watched it in the moment, and I didn't know... I didn't know what... What he was I doing. I didn't know how, right? I just heard that he ran the clock out. That's all I heard, right? I didn't know exactly how it happened. So it was... It well, was it took stunning. a good two just... seconds to realise, for me watching it, that he was running the clock out, because I thought I thought maybe he's running out to get a bit of room to get at the LeBron or do something, and then he just... He just kept going. I'm thinking, oh no, he doesn't realise. And then, of course, LeBron. Everyone else realises. Well, I do too late. I know it was only it was only four seconds, but that's where I go. You just don't. Well, I think a very fair question I was asking myself is, where is the Brad Stevens in this situation? If Brad Stevens in a split second can prevent one of his players from doing something stupid and calling a timeout, I go, couldn't Ty Lue? Again, easier said than done. Because you don't imagine a player doesn't know what the score is in the NBA Finals. Well, he would have seen him get the rebound, and I guess it would have been, this is better for us than me calling a timeout. Like, attacking them now when they're not set. But again, 
you know, could you have gotten a timeout with one second left? That's what I'm saying. Because well, as you yeah. see him run up to the line, could you have between between 2.5 seconds and one second? You know what I'm saying? I go, could you do something, right? So that's what I when J.R. Smith's backs turn to the basket, and there's now 2.7, 2.8. Again, I don't, I didn't look at the Cleveland bench. No one's even talked about this, but I, that's what was going through my head. Is I saw Brad Stevens make some, you know, some surgical. You know, some surgical timeouts and the split-second decision-making right when about the when the Celtics are going to make a stupid play. So I, I'm not putting any blame on Ty Lue. It's, it's a, because, again, you don't think that your player doesn't know what the score is. That's not a, that's not a scenario that goes through your head at that point. Hmm. So um, it is, I literally, I li- literally, not metaphorically, I almost cried. I like you just... For, Again, the contrast of the highs and the lows of, again, the the, the, the guttural disappointment of ha- having seen the Rockets climb the mountain and they figured it out that the, the Houston Rockets approach was working. They were they had control of the series, and then to see you know uh, Chris Paul tear a hamstring or pull a hamstring and have it all fall apart. So just at the moment. He got he pulled his hammy in the 48th minute of the game hmm. when we knew they had taken control of the series. That devastating gap, and similarly here, we saw a unbelievable virtuoso, all-time, literally all-time great, you know, all-time great performance in the history of the sport. Get that pinnacle juxtaposed with the unbelievable heartbreak and and brain snap from J.R. Smith, like that delta right between the highs and lows was so severe in this game and that you know i know the memes have gone around with when when lebron's pleading looking at jr smith you know with his hands out in the air like what 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 <laughs> why did why why and it is it is absolutely not not metaphorically literally heartbreaking i don't know how this team is going to rebound from well lebron's from lebron's already said that's the worst loss of his career so um you know where his head's at he, he's very depressed I believe about it, it. I believe it. You wish he was ele- if he was 11 for 40 i actually would have felt worse let you uh, keep every game circumstance the same if lebron had one of those crazy you know whatever just couldn't win the ocean games i would not feel nearly as, as bad but just for what he's had to carry this year i know he creates drama himself but it's just dot dot dot, and this, here's where my words trail off into shaking my head and um, dot dot dot. I don't have any. I don't have any. Well, I feel I, I feel have, sorry I, for Jr. as well. Do? I feel sorry for Jr. as well from this point of view that he's been through a tough time in his own life. He had a premature baby that had some issues and thankfully got through it last year so he's been through some tough times in his own right so you never want to see a player have to go through that now part obviously it's his own fault for having a little bit of a low iq moment on the course not the first time in jr's career he's not known the score no. in the game late either but uh I, do, I i feel for guys i feel for george you're missing it i feel for jr but obviously you, you do feel most for lebron um to have the only player ever to have a 50-point game in the NBA Finals and lose the game um, against, you know, and have everything go against him. Like, the, the 
the whistle go against him. His own players making mistakes. You know, Steph Curry, which we didn't even touch on, hits a 40-foot shot at the end of the first half, which that, that proved to be key. All these sort of little things that add up and add up and add up. And that's just... Uh, that must be you know, like George Hill said he didn't sleep the night of the game. LeBron didn't sleep much either that night. So you wonder how they're going to be. And this is not a team that's necessarily that together. I mean, when the Spurs lost Game Six and came out and performed very well in Game Seven, I wasn't that surprised. That was a very together team. Um, this one has not not been anywhere near as much. They haven't sort of been through the ups and downs. Yes, that the history of that Spurs team has. They've had three, you know, three members go through some version of anxiety and stress leave, right? Ty Lue has been sick, like, literally yeah, sick with stress and anxiety. He left the team for a while. Kevin Love admitted to feeling the pressure and the anxiety of it and probably a bit different cocktail of anxiety. But Derek Rose left the team for two weeks. Not that he's the bellwether for, for strength of character, but still this pressure on this team all year and then to have something like this with the referees and the self-inflicted brain snap it's just at, at the same time you've got the completely indifferent the indifferent warriors like it's the it's again the cruel contrast of temperaments of the two teams where you've got the cupcake hanger on her wannabe kevin durant um with steph curry who is phenomenal he's fucking phenomenal um, and then Draymond, the, the most easily hateable Dennis Rodman of our era. It's like this, it all just sort of stirs together in this, you know, this, I guess, the Warriors culture. Um, well, just, I think we may have got a peak. to watch a team like. Yeah, we may have got a peak, Daz, in the game too, in the overtime of, of game one, unfortunately, because the Warriors just came out and absolutely trucked them. Um, the Cavs had nothing left in the tank. They were just, and again, the, the similarities between the yeah. Raptors uh, game one, where they just were deer in the headlights moment in, in a sense uh, and just were yeah. completely flat, knew they had their chance to win it they're and blew human, it. They're human beings. This is, this is not a – that's right. That is an absolute emotional cliff that they got absolutely shoved off by the referees and by JR. So it's – you don't – you don't. And that's why I think I just – I guess we'll wait and see, but I – can you imagine them having another performance like this and winning game two? It's just such a hard, it's hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine. So. Well, the only thing is I did yeah, like, I, I didn't um, watch much of overtime. I did like David Thorpe's comment to say, look, if I'm, if I'm the Cavs, I'm going to come out and just say after the game, this is the best team ever. We play as well as we could and we couldn't beat them. He said, play into their ego, play into the arrogance and see if you can get them to come out again um, and not not play with the intensity they need to. And as he said, let them wake up at 1-1 and see if you can hold home court going back to Cleveland. Um, but I'll tell you, if, if they're able to win this game too after that sort of an emotional letdown, it would be one of the greatest upsets to me in NBA Finals history. Well... I guess there's a non-zero probability that the pathological insecurity of Cupcake Durant creates further tension. Because he played terrible, right? I don't care what you say. He played a terrible game. He forced shots. He took kind of off lots of off-balance stuff. He, he was a ball stopper. Like he like he just doesn't play traditional 
traditional. He doesn't play the best style of Golden State Warrior basketball. It doesn't go through Kevin Durant. The best, the optimized Golden State Warriors is when Draymond's whipping the ball around Clay, you know, Clay and, and um, Steph are shooting threes in transition. That's the best version of them. Okay, KD in transition too, but he's just another cog in that wheel. And so, you know what, he's, and then his comments after the game, which just speaks volumes to what his temperament is. When he says, literally had said, after a very, very ordinary, forgettable performance, said, I got every shot. You know, anyone who has the shot chart sees he didn't have a very good game. Um, and he said, literally, um, they couldn't stop me. I got every shot I wanted, except maybe one time. They couldn't defend me. That's what he said. You <laughs> <laughs> can sort of hear the, all the media just sort of guffaw, except for Bill Simmons, who wrote that down and then tweeted it. <laughs> so, so my point of saying that, right? There's not Kevin Durant isn't, doesn't look happy. Like I think Steph's going to win the MVP. Kevin knows he's going to win the MVP. I wonder if Kevin is continuing the little voice in his head is perhaps a similar voice to in the head of Brian Colangelo, which is you know you've been labeled a you know uh, a quitter, you've been labeled the cupcake, you're the hanger on her here. And now you're not even the cog in the wheel. You're not going to be the leading scorer. You're not going to be MVP. And, oh, by the way, your, your foil across in the other jersey just had an all-time great game, and we're constantly talking about him versus Jordan now. So I, I, just, I'm, I can play out a non-zero probability scenario where Kevin Durant, I don't know, gets technicals and gets pissed off and gets frustrated. So I don't put that as a high probability but it's it's that's maybe going to play itself out more in july than it will be in this series but there's something not quite right about there's something not quite right about how they're all all the parts are fitting together that's my view yeah it's almost like the old your turn my turn but in this term it's it's when they say your turn it's kevin durant just doing one-on-one iso stuff and then when they say it's our turn it's clay steph and draymond doing their stuff and of course that's how they've won these games in these in these series, uh, at least in my opinion. Kevin Durant's had big games. When Kevin Durant has a big game, it's generally in the blowout games. I don't know if that's, you know, for whatever reason that might be. But when the games get close, they're going to go back to that, that style of basketball that you referenced where Draymond's whipping the ball around. They're looking for shots from Steph and, and Clay a little bit more and they go away from the sort of ISO ball that we see with Kevin Durant. And he just doesn't seem to quite fit into that offense as well this season as what he probably did last season, interestingly enough. So, and I, I don't know that the MVP is definitely set yet, but certainly after game one, Steph Curry is, I mean, assuming they don't just say in a four-game sweep, you know, LeBron's so good, we're just going to give it to him anyway. Did give it to him anyway. <laughs> which I sure. doubt. Which I doubt they will. After they didn't give it to him, they gave it to Iguodala ahead of him um, sure. in that other series. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I, I don't think that they'll necessarily do that. So, um, I think Steph Curry's certainly on the inside running after one game, but who knows? I mean, Durant could come out and have 45 tomorrow in a 20-point win. That that certainly wouldn't surprise me. But it wouldn't surprise me if he got an early couple of technicals and he got thrown Again, out of the game either. Yeah, he's... That'd be typical Durant, right? It'd be typical Durant when all the chips are down for Cleveland and they're you know basically emotionally bankrupt and this is the day he decides to, to erupt. I know he he actually performed really well in last year's finals. He did. So yep. um, this is not just a bash Durant, but there's something 
there's something not right. There's, you know, his going. Well, I think it, we this, touched on it earlier this insecure, year. Unsure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he. I think he's upset that he didn't get more credit and more. I think when he when they won the title last year, I think he thought everyone was going to be giving him a big victory parade, and it was going to be a big group fellatio session, like what he gets on the BS report when he goes on there and it, ne- and it never happened um, and I think the, you know it, it not only does it not happen within the media I think you'd probably find within NBA circles um, it doesn't happen so I think that's why he's had a bit, even more of a chip on his shoulder this year in terms of how he's gone about things and that's where you know the, the, the constant technical fouls and things like that come from and the sort of passive aggressiveness you see with him in the handling of the media at times well, and the and there's just the spats on the floor, especially with Draymond, right? When he doesn't he doesn't get to his spots or doesn't do what he needs to be doing. That's why I mean. There's little moments in the game where I think Kevin's in his head trying to get his trying to count his points, right? That's what it's what it seems like. He's he's um, literally the best player in the NBA in the mid range, so you can only criticize him to a point. But it's just it just doesn't. It's not doesn't look happy. Steph's happy. Steph's Steph's just unfazed. I mean, that's th- thank God for Curry. I'd I'd really love to hate the Warriors, but think and Draymond just his antics. I think well, Draymond's top, mugging. Yeah, Draymond. Camp Me and Charles Barkley's yeah. camp. I'm just waiting for someone to punch him in the head. He his antics at the end of this game were so classless. I mean, not only sitting there what a doing whatever yeah. he did to Kendrick Perkins, and then going out and clapping in George Hill's face. And then uh, Tristan Thompson uh, pushed the ball in his face, which, you know, he's lucky that's all Tristan Thompson did, to be honest. And then he didn't get a technical for taunting either, which I thought, are they ever going to give a technical for taunting? They give Stephen Jackson one for looking at the bench a few years ago. Now now you can just do whatever you want, apparently. So would that be the the film study for the game? If you're Ty Lue and the coaching staff, you just run out a tape of... Draymond giving it to you? That would fire me up, wouldn't it? You put it yeah, that I don't know that being yeah, okay. fired up. They, they should be fired up anyway. I mean, I, I don't think that's necessary. That that might be counterproductive, actually. I, I think they just need uh-huh. to be focused. They need to be as focused as they were in uh, in game one and hope that, you know, I, I, what I'd be doing if I'm Ty Lue is I'd be showing them all the open shots we missed. And I'd be saying, let's not blame the referees for this one. We were in position to win this game. These are the shots we've got to we've got to well, hit next time. Maybe it's lucky they had a couple of days off because Ty, you know, got fined for what he said. He literally said we got robbed, you know. So Ty Lu wasn't backing away from the, you know, uh, from how he felt in the moment and how he was you know, reflecting how the team felt was that felt they got robbed, and he said that and he got fined for it. So you you probably think that he you know. He admitted he hasn't been sleeping and been taking medication for anxiety for the last few months. So who knows his state of mind the last 48 hours. But it will be interesting to see how they come out. Well, at the end of the day... So you and I both... I was predicting a a, a literal sweep. I wasn't predicting gentlemen's. I was predicting 4-0 literal sweep. Did you see anything from this game that gives you... You know, including all this heartbreak and stuff and the referees. Did you see anything or do you have any belief that Cleveland can, can win a couple? Can you, can this series go six or is this? Well, I think I actually do. This is the thing I'd say is 
for, from Cleveland's point of view, you've got to put the referees to a side and you've got to say, we can only control what we can control. We can't control what the referees do. We can't control whether Draymond Green acts like a dick or not, right? And this is one of the things. I mean, the first thing the Spurs did, I hate to keep going back to the Spurs, but I think there's some parallels here in, in heartbreaking losses. The first thing they did in 2014 was watch game six again. And Popovich showed them all the different things that they did wrong. It wasn't about, oh, the refs missed this call or the ball didn't bounce this way. It's like we had control of this game. I think Tyler's got to take the same sort of tact with them. And what it's about for Cleveland at the moment is as much as anything is about belief. Do they believe they can beat this team? And that game one should have shown them that they can do that. Now, the problem is you've got to do it now four out of six rather than four out of seven. So it's going to be very, very difficult. But guess what? You've got maybe the best player of all time. And I think, you know... I just don't think you can compare eras to say whether Jordan or LeBron were better, but I think they're 1A and 1B to me at the moment. You've got the best player ever in your corner. We just need to to come along with him and and let him lead us. This team, I I still feel like the Warriors, ready to fall, maybe he's a bit bit too, putting a bit too fine a point on it, but there's there's something not right about the way this team's clicking at the moment. And let's give them some adversity and let's see how they respond to that, because they didn't respond well in close games so, against Houston, did they? So lucky. It's just so lucky. This is going to be one of the bigger asterisks championships, right, to to get Chris Paul at the absolute perfect time and then to have this happen, the J.R. Smith brain snap. and the, Well, the Western Conference, I mean, they've bonkers. played... what? How many series have, have they played now? They've played six series with Kevin Durant and the roster in the Western Conference. Every single team they've played has been hobbled by injury. Every single one has had either their best player or their second best player go down either before or during the series with injury. Now, that's not their fault. Don't get me wrong. And likely they win a lot of those series anyway, but they're certainly nowhere near as dominant if the likes of Kawhi Leonard, Chris Paul... Um, you know, Rudy Gobert went down Boogie last Cousins. year, Boogie yeah. Cousins, you know, you name it. These guys keep getting the injury luck. And, and then they've got the hide and the temerity to say, oh, but poor us, Iggy's out. I mean, give me a break. They've got the sixth name on your roster is out <laughs> yeah. and you've been, you've been yeah. playing, including a, a time where, of course, their own player took out the best player on the, on the opposition. So, you know, cry <laughs> me a river there, please. So yeah, this is... They're one of the six the six unplayable centres on their roster as well. That's right. And this is what I'd say about the, the Warriors. They have not handled adversity well. They just they have not handled it well at all during this this more recent run. And even if you go back well, to the seven-game series. Well, they have had some. So they've had some against Cleveland, where they lost in seven games. Um, oh, I thought you meant this. This, this, this year players, they have. Yeah. Well, so this series. Last year, okay, they were down... Big in game one of the Western Conference Finals when Zaza took out Kawhi. Who knows what happens if that doesn't happen? Um, and then, of course, this year they're down against um, Houston. Fortunately, Chris Paul goes out injured. As I said last week, I, I don't see a scenario where if Chris Paul doesn't go down injured. Houston don't win that series, and and they did not play yeah. well in the close games in that series. And I didn't think they played particularly well 
in the close game in this in, in, um, in game one of this series either. It was really down to the referees bailing him out with a couple of calls, and of course Cleveland totally self destructing at the end. So I think this this team's beatable. I mean the the the, the mantra coming in that this team's unbeatable, and they're and they're historically great and all this sort of stuff. I think we can just about throw that out the window. This is not an unbeatable team by any stretch of the imagination. This team isn't. This definitely isn't better than the previous two versions of it. That's that's for sure. No. So it'll be interesting. It's it's not because yeah. they are so thin as well. I mean, their roster yeah. is wafer thin, and you know this this is going to be the problem where people are saying, "Well, they're going to win, you know, the next the next four or five championships." This is what we were talking about last year. I just can't see it happening now, Daz. Not not with you can't ride guys this much. And Draymond Green has hasn't really been able to sort of press the on button for this playoffs. He's been very hit and miss. Um, and we spoke about that last week. Clay's been a bit hot and cold. It really comes down to Steph Curry's their best player. I mean, make no bones about who their best player is. And this and if anyone By comes far, out with the yeah. nonsense that Kevin Durant's their best player. They just don't watch this team. Steph Curry's their best player. He's, well, I, get, I think Draymond's sort of their emotional leader, but in terms of the way they want to play, I think it has to go through Steph Curry most most of all. Um, so that, and, and from the yeah. point of view of Cleveland, I just think if you have the belief that you can beat them, that's going to be the critical thing, I think, going back to Cleveland. And if you can send this back to Oakland at 2-2, then we might we might sort of see what this Golden State team's made of. But obviously, I'm giving Golden State tomorrow. I think it's going to be too hard for Cleveland um, to come back uh, after such a devastating um, game on loss. But they would on... they would need a they would need to get you know another plus ten on the offensive rebound sort of metric. They'd need a similar game from LeBron, a supremely efficient game. And they're just going to need they're going to need just three point. They're going to need Love to hit three or four. JR to hit three or four, Hill to hit a couple, they're going to need Corver to hit a... They're going to need to hit 15, 16, 17 three-pointers, is my feeling. It's, that's one way to soothe, you know, this thing, and it's a high beta, right? High uh, high variability of outcomes, as the as we like to say um, in the nerd world now. That's, that's, for me, the formula. That's why I go, you can't, re- you can't replicate a 51-8-8 with... Could have been fifty-one, eight, fifteen. You know, if guys made a, you know, made a few shots, right? Like we can't expect that to be replicated. But Love can give more. Hill can give more. Corver can can do something. So, and just see where where the chips fall. And hopefully that you know the the gap at center. Hopefully Draymond Draymond hit a couple of big shots, but he's been pretty terrible on offense for most of the playoffs. Um, and their center position is pretty poor. So. If you can limit them, that's that's where that's why that's why I think Golden State, believe it or not, is beatable because Draymond's been so putrid on offense. Is he okay? You got three Hall of Famers, but at least three Hall of Famers and two turds, you know. Well, exactly. Uh, You've got Looney and, and Green are just black holes on offense. Yeah, and what Cleveland yeah. did really well was slow the pace of the game down. So, and that's what Houston did well also. If you can slow, and, and even the Spurs did it back in in, in um, round one and and kept those games close. Yeah, if you can slow the pace of these games down against Golden State, you give yourself a chance. And the Houston and, and sorry, Cleveland did that. And I thought Ty Lue coached a really good game, and it was a really smart he game did. plan. And they executed it well. And they know teams know now. Just leave Draymond Green open. 
because he's not going to. He was way off on those shots, and that's what's so frustrating. You know, when he hits those ones, and he generally hits them when they need to be hit. We've all credit yeah. to him, but you yeah. just sort of you, you've just got to pick your poison with them and leave him open. And I think they'll yeah, do the same do. if Iguodala ever um, ever plays again. And Iguodala's getting a second opinion. There's a bit, bit of a Kawhi moment happening um, in Golden State because Iguodala's not sure what's going on with his knee. So I'm not sure we'll see Iguodala again this series either. So we've cons- he's doubtful for game two. Yeah, so they're still saying doubtful. Well, he hasn't even taken so. the practice court, so I can't see a scenario where he's back by game three at this stage. Yeah. So I think you, you, you're preparing for no Iguodala, and that hurts their rotations because now you, you're asking Looney to play big minutes. You've got Jordan Bell playing big minutes. Like they're just, I don't think they're ready for prime time, these guys. So with the, how waste thin that roster is, you only need one of those big three, and we saw it in game one. It was Durant who didn't have a great game. Next game, maybe Clay doesn't have a great game. If that happens, well, now, if, if, if LeBron and Kevin Love can match Steph and KD's output, then you give yourself a puncher's chance because you just need, a, you know, a Kyle Corver or a Jeff Green or someone else, even a Jar Smith, you know, to step up and make some shots. And all of a sudden you can you can find yourself right a game, which happened in game one. Well, and, the, and I think you hinted at it before, but and what they need is Cleveland needs a bit of luck when LeBron is, LeBron needs to rest for a little bit, right? And they were, I think he actually sat for five minutes, if I'm not mistaken, um, in regulation, this one and maybe it was three minutes. But no, the, it was about the five. The second time shots. was a bit more. Yeah, they, they were. Pl- I think they were plus. Yeah, five total, right? Yeah, yeah. they were plus in, they in plus five minutes. Off. Albeit, there was. Oh, look, I, I think the, they the need to aim for the second half. Yeah, they need to aim for about eight minutes of rest for LeBron. In my opinion, I think he played too many minutes in game well, one. If he can even get six, right? You know, something like that. But yeah, um, I guess what I was saying is that if Cleveland needs to survive those two three-minute bursts and they did in game one so everything we just said can completely come undone if lebron sits for five minutes and they go minus eight right they go and that that could be the game that could take a four-point game to a 12-point game and just make the mountain too big to climb so that's mm-hmm. why literally these a couple minutes when he does sit they need to find a way to yeah so i'd love to see kevin love just go truck some people you know grind the shot clock down post and repost him for fuck's sake yeah, that's right. Um, just give it. Say negative, George Hill. Three. Yeah. yeah. Get, get George Hill to post him up a few times, um, and just see if you can wind some clock down. It, it's more about keeping the number of possessions down to a minimum when LeBron's off the court as much as he's continuing to score. Yeah. So um, game two is tomorrow for us. So that's tomorrow morning for us. That's right, Des. So we'll we'll see where Game Two uh, takes us. There's a there's not a lot of news outside of um, the NBA Finals um, at this stage. Quickly, my my prediction. I, I still think Golden State will win in five, but I'm I'm now ready to talk myself into maybe this could go to to Game Six. Um, I don't think it will go as far as Game Seven. Had they have won Game One, who knows? Obviously, what would happen from there. But um, it just feels like a bit of a letdown. Um, for the whole series. Just getting on to the other news in the NBA, does uh, Steve Clifford hired in Orlando. That's not a, not a hire that I guess people are getting too excited about. The only good thing, I guess, 
from their point of view is he has been there before. He was the assistant to Stan Van Gundy during their most successful period uh, since the Shaq years. Um, so did you sort of think, does that move the needle at all for them? I mean, does that? I wouldn't think it changes much for that franchise. Well, I just know that he interviewed for the um, um, for the Bucks job when they got. Uh, um, when did they interview for the Bucks job? Oh, did they interview him? John Weltman and John Hammond. Yeah, they did interview him. I'm getting. Did they interview for the? I don't think they interviewed anyone when they hired Jason Kidd. But anyway, the, the, um, he's familiar to, to Hammond and to. Um, into Waltman. So there's a guy, Clifford's been a guy that they've had their eye on for a while. So I'm not totally a surprise. I don't know enough about Clifford's um, player development sort of approach, I guess. Um, I sort of thought he's more of a tactician than a developer, but uh, right. Cause obviously very young roster going to go through some lean, lean, lean years here. So um, yeah, you'd, you'd expect that development and teaching are going to be top priorities for him. So yeah, I don't yeah, know. I don't know. I don't and, see where he's an upgrade on Frank Vogel, to be honest. I don't either. It's it's uninspired. It's an uninspired hire again for a team like this. I would have loved to seen them go for a, you know, go for the uh, uh, the unproven kind of younger assistant. Was perhaps what I would think. You know, the Nick Nurses of the world or Arnaga from Boston, those sorts of guys. But mm. yeah, good good luck to you, Orlando. Have have fun. At least you. They may not be worse than the, than the Detroit Pistons next year, however. That's well, the other, that's, news, isn't it? <laughs> the other news I was going to get to, yeah, Jason Kidd interviewing for the Detroit Pistons job. And there is, um, well, there is serious rumours he's going to get the job, Daz. Um, what words of oh, advice Peter. or words of warning would you give to the Detroit Pistons about uh, hiring Jason Kidd? I'd say get an assistant who um, has is good with the clock. And clock management because of what we're seeing in the final minutes of some of these games you don't want jason kidd thinking too hard in the final few minutes so as long as he gets an assistant like a like a 12 year old kid with a like a casio watch to tell jason like how to how to manage the time would be all right well there was a rumor right, that yeah. kid was in the crowd for game one and he was telling he was yelling at uh, jr to just hold the ball up because it's much better <laughs> to go the overtime in that situation than trying because look JR could have gone straight back <laughs> up with that shot and they blocked it out to half court and then they're on at the races you don't yeah, think about it's those it's things too they're risky. the things that, that's right so Jason Kidd's playing three-dimensional chess yeah <laughs> and we're all we're all just playing basketball <laughs> so uh that's if that's, right. if that's uh, is a look Detroit doesn't even have they got Ed Stefanski who was another laughing stock in Bucks Nation he's a old retread, old guy, old friend of Rod Thorne. He's just famous for being famous. And um, Bucks Nation was going apoplectic during the GM search uh, last year with, with the hint that he might be this nepotistic pick of Rod Thorne, who's now kind of an advisor to the Bucks. So you got old man Stefanski running the search there in Detroit. Well, they haven't got a GM not... either, so they got no GM, no coach at the so moment. It'd be so typical, it'd be so typical right, of a, a, just a signal the further decay and dysfunction if they hire a coach before they hire a GM. Well, that's what I was going to ask so you. Yeah, that, that'd be, that's the worst look, isn't it, if you, if you go and hire the coach? Hey, well, hey, they could give Jason Kidd um, GM coaching, head coaching title. That'd, that'd make sense, wouldn't it? Yeah, resuscitate MCW and Grievous Vasquez's <laughs> career, I think. 
it's Ilya Sova, you know, get a five-year deal probably, you know. Oh, wow. <laughs> and just speaking... So, yeah, so the, the, uh, sorry. No, I what... Detroit was just... No, I was just thinking that Detroit is in... They're on, they're on thin ice right now, man. It's... it's that franchise, there's nowhere to go but down. It's the only way. I don't understand the like thinking. Like, why not give Stan Van Gundy one more year? This was his roster he built. He That's was exactly the one that I'm made thinking. the trade. Yep. Give him a year and yep. say, look, Stan, what did you see from this roster? Let's see where you can take it. If they do nothing next year, then go, okay, we need to press the reset button, whatever that looks like. I know there's this extreme, extreme injury risk all over the roster, but you would have loved to see Drummond, Jackson, and Blake, right? Mm. Like, that's what that's what you'd want to see. you want to see those guys. Even get me 20, 30 games of them and see what this potential is. And I'm with you. The more I've seen how they've handled this and dragged it on and been indecisive and now got rid of the GM, just, it's just a, not even a house of cards because the cards, the cards would fall faster than, this is a house of turds. It just is slow rolling and messy. And doesn't smell very good. Well, and why part ways with your GM this far into the off season? Their off season has been going for two months now. It's a little bit, you know, a little bit of fun, a little bit of, you know, a little bit of mystery and intrigue before the draft, Daz. You know, maybe get some new voices in there. All that rubbish. Yeah, it's no. just such risky. It's terrible. Business, terrible. Speaking of GMs, we've got Brian Colangelo, Dead Man Walking. Do you think in, in Philly, it seems as though uh, the Twitter accounts that we referenced last week belong to his wife, or at least linked to his wife in some ways, although he's claiming they might, he might be part of a, a victim of a setup. Um, so we'll wait and see, I guess, how this plays out. But it certainly seems as though uh, Brian Colangelo's days are numbered in Philly. And that's obviously a very bad look for that franchise because they've got a big off-season coming up, um, including the courting of uh, LeBron James. Well, as someone said quite astutely, either um, the general manager has been tweeting private information and ridiculing his own players, or that the Philadelphia 76ers superstar player just called out and embarrassed their general manager um, on, you know, unfairly. So in either two of those situations, it's very, very bad. Hmm. Um, wife, not the wife. It doesn't matter to me. This is, you know, the information that was leaked or tweeted came from Brian Colangelo's experience and his points of view. So whether it was a wife or a friend or cousin or whoever had control of these Twitter accounts, these are not these are not original thoughts from that said person. These are original thoughts and opinions from Brian himself, and therefore, they are his. And so, his trust, I think, is already probably destroyed, unless some something really crazy, and unprecedented, and unpredicted comes out of this inquiry or the sorry the the investigation, which I don't anticipate. I see it's highly unlikely. Um, his trust is already destroyed within obviously the Philly locker room and here we are it's June 1st June the 2nd and you got to get ready for a draft and talking to agents and free agents and and who wants to believe what he's going to say you know trust me who's going to trust him at this point so I think I don't know the pace and nothing's been given to us about I guess how this investigation is going to unfold but it seems like it's going to be a, a, the best case scenario, scenario for him is going to be some sort of administrative leave or whatever you'd call it until the investigation's finished and then you know sort of wait for due process to, to have to play out and then fire him seems like the most likely path 
um, because you just you just think, all right, here we are, June first. You can't you can't wait. The longer you wait, and then fire your GM, and that puts even more pressure preparing for the draft, which is literally twenty days away. So mm. that's what it feels like. It's like feels like he's a dead man walking. I don't see how he recovers. Um, and yeah, boy, what are they going to do for a replacement? Boy. Boy, oh boy. Well, Sam Hinkie still needs a job, so who knows? Jeez, you wonder <laughs> if Adam Silver would let that happen. That no, I mean, it's funny. obvious, but you just, yeah. God. Anyway. That's yeah. all. I mean, could you pick, literally, you couldn't pick a worse timing in the calendar for this to happen. Happens in the middle of the season, all right? You just fire your general manager and get on with it. You know, happens in, you know, training camp. Yeah, okay, right, get on with it. But it happens the next six weeks, you know, the draft and free agency. Just well, I think you've got, to, you've got to bring someone in with a little bit of um, experience and a little bit of weight behind them, uh, in a sense. Uh, because I don't, if, you, if you're seriously going to court LeBron James or court any of these other sort of free agents, look at making moves, I think, you, you know, you can't have a wet behind the ears. Uh, GM no. trying to pull the strings on that, so they they need to try no. and make a bring in a known quantity, even if it's not necessarily in the GM in some capacity, um, to be able to present a professional front um, when they're making those pitches uh, in the off season and then trying to make those well, moves. Probably not not an accident that Brett Brown's three year extension got announced right when this is right when this was all unfolding. So he probably have a more prominent role as well in some way. I would imagine. Well, I'm certainly in the short term. He's a personnel man, but... Yeah, sure, yeah. certainly in the short term he will, uh, but I don't think they'll... Go. I, I think the days of teams going down the road of uh, head coach GMs, I don't think we'll see too many more head coach GMs in the league, given um, the Doc Rivers and Budenholzer and, and Stan Van Gundy experiments and how they they all panned out. All, all yeah. three of those guys, good coaches, but did not, uh, not do well in the GM role. I think you could argue. Yeah. Uh, all right, Daz, we might leave it there. We'll see how we go with game two tomorrow. I won't be able to watch myself, but if it's a close one, I'll uh, I'll certainly check out the replay um, tomorrow night. But I'll, I guess at this stage, more than throughout the game through and seeing what Cleveland uh, can dish up at home and whether they can sort of force Golden State into a similar game that we saw in game one. Yep, let's, let's see what happens. You never know what sort of what LeBron has in store. So, I mean, he's, he's must-see TV right now. Yeah, that's a fair point. That's a fair point, mate. Okay. No problems, mate. We'll, we'll talk again, if not during this week, uh, in a week's time. We'll see where we, where we sit in the NBA finals at that point. Yeah. We should probably get some... I mean, actually, generally, would like to tee up a, what's happening with Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> been, uh, I'd like to know for next time. I thought, you know, well, I've heard pop. a little bit. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've heard they're going to have a meeting, him and Pop, and, and RC. Oh, okay. uh, but that that has been sort of well, Pop's still dealing with the loss of his wife, so he. I'm not sure how present yeah. Pop is at the, the facility, etc. That will happen at some stage before July the first, and then there's some obviously the decisions around whether they offer him uh, the supermax now, whether they look to trade him straight away, or they look to bring him back to. 
uh, training camp and then see if he's right to go health, healthy before the start of the season and then offer him the uh, Supermax extension then, or they can even offer him the Supermax extension at the end of the season. But if they did wait to do that, he would need to make another All-NBA team. So there is a little bit of a risk there um, yeah. from Kawhi Leonard's point of view if he doesn't sign it uh, before the start of this season. My general feeling is oh, I'd be stunned if he's not back on the Spurs next year. I just don't think they're going to get enough value for him um, from a trade point of view. I think he, his trade value is so low at the moment the Spurs, I think you could even make an argument the Spurs would be better off just letting him walk for nothing in free agency and because they're very very well placed, the Spurs, to go straight into a rebuild if Kawhi does leave in free agency. Whereas if you do a trade to sort of go to the Clippers for the 10 and 13 pick and Tobias Harris, you're sort of just locking yourself into a, a 5-6 seed at best for the next two, three years. And it's like, well, what, you know, you, you sort of need stars as a star-driven league. If you're going to go forward without a star player, um, you either need a, a clear direction to get a high, very high draft pick and get one that way, uh, or try and have some assets around the trade for one. I have a whole bunch of thoughts, but I was just thinking maybe I'll hold those, and <laughs> in the future maybe we'll keep minute or the 75th minute as the Spurs Bucks deep dive, <laughs> <laughs> so everyone could tune out, and then we could just slam into all the you know all the nuances of our of our beloveds so um yeah we'll okay, keep an eye guys. on that anyway does okay keep an eye out no problems mate have a good one pal all right see you